Uh, we are talking about stewardship and tithing, and I know that's always the funnest subject to come here on, on those weeks, but we wanted to share with you that stuff that they put up there um, is stuff that's just happened in the last month and a half. I think everything up there was within the last month and a half. Uh, this church has done so much more in our community and um, for people all around this, this county uh, than, than what was up there. And that is, that is the blessing that, uh, that comes from when, when we tithe and give to the church. It doesn't just go to pay for a building, it really goes out to the community. So, as I said, we will be talking about tithing today and stewardship, but we'll start out a little funner than that at first, or fun for me at least, because uh, I want to share with you about my Christmas my Christmas Eve in particular. This was <clears throat> the best Christmas Eve that I've probably ever had. And there were a couple things that made it uh, just a really special Christmas Eve for us. Uh, we went to the, well, I went to the service down in town, the Lenhart service, and um, we had, we didn't get an accurate count, I don't think, but there were at least 100 people down there. And I was shocked how many people came out in the rain and the cold to, uh, to, to celebrate the birth of Jesus with us, to, to celebrate God with us, and, and just have that time of worship. So that was awesome, being able to be a part of that. Then we spent, my family and my kids and, and I, we spent all day just kind of doing little activities and games and having fun. Uh, we brought the kids to the 10 o'clock service here, which this is my second favorite thing that happened on Christmas Eve, was we brought my kids to the 10, 8, 10 p.m. service, the candlelight service, and we are watching, looking towards the tree. If you weren't here, we were kind of all facing that way so we could look out the window. And as we're, first of all, we're listening to Keith Webb and his son sing. Now, if that's not an awesome night, you know, nothing is. Um, but as we're watching them and the snow is falling, it's the big hallmark Christmas flakes, you know, of snow. So it's just a beautiful sight as we are, are having this service. But then we start lighting the candles. So we all get back and we get in a big circle that took up most of the gallery here. And we start lighting the candles. And my daughter took about four steps out in front, four or five steps. She was out the ways, and she's just looking around. And I watched her the entire time, watching this four-year-old grasp the awe and, and beauty of this candlelight service. And the look on her face was just amazing. So I just enjoyed every second of lighting the candles and getting to watch her take that all in. But the best part about Christmas Eve <clears throat> is that my wife had been reading a Christmas devotional book to the kids for a couple weeks leading up to Christmas. It was a long a devotion that went through the entire story of Jesus. And we read the last two chapters before we brought the kids here to that candlelight service. And in the last two chapters, <clears throat> one of the pictures and part of the story was Jesus' crucifixion. So there's the picture of Jesus on the cross. And my daughter is four. My daughter understands death. 
She understood, well, as best as a four-year-old can anyways. She's been asking a lot of questions about dying lately. My, my wife's grandma passed away a few months ago and we went to the service and since then she's asked a lot of questions. But she also understands Jesus's death. She understands that he died for the sins of the world and for her sins. So as we're reading this book and we get to the picture of Jesus on the cross, she starts asking questions. And I don't remember exactly all the questions, but essentially the big question was, first of all, so I should ask Jesus for forgiveness, right? Like when I, you know, for, for when I'm naughty, or, you know, when I'm doing things wrong. And we're like, well, yeah, you, you should. And she then started asking, well, how do we do that? How do we ask Jesus for forgiveness? And my daughter says all of our prayers at home, well, most of our prayers at home, for every meal it is my daughter that prays. So this girl knows how to pray. And so we told her, you know, this, you just pray. We, you just ask, you know, as you're praying, you know, you ask Jesus. And we said, if you want, we can pray this with you. You know, we can, uh, we can pray you're your asking for forgiveness and accepting Jesus. We kind of explained all this to her. And she had a weird look and she started thinking some more and she came up with a bunch of more questions for us. So again, we, uh, we went through the questions, we answered a bunch of things and again we asked, so do you wanna pray now? We can, we can pray, pray with you right now. And uh, she said, I think I wanna think about it some more. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's my four-year-old. And, but what an amazing time we had of her delving into faith and asking the questions. And 20 years ago, had she said, I want to think about it some more, I would have been disappointed. Like, oh, we were so close. Um, Today, I am ecstatic because my four-year-old already is beginning to develop a faith And I know today something that I didn't really understand 20 years ago. A lot of us, we came up in different churches, different times where, you know, the prayer was the goal. You just said this prayer, you're good. So 20 years ago, if she'd have said that prayer, I'd have been ecstatic. Yes, she's going to heaven. We're going to see her again. But today I understand that it's not the prayer that saves us. It's faith that saves us. A faith that leads to repentance that should lead to a prayer of asking for forgiveness and asking Jesus to be a part of our life and a faith that leads to a a constant state of prayer. But it's the faith that saves us. And I see that faith in my four-year-old as she prays for me all the time. When I hurt my back in that accident, she still is praying over my neck and my shoulder I hurt my knee helping her get into the car last Sunday and we got home and she was cuddling up next to me and she, she gets squirmy. She leans up and leaned on my leg right where I had hurt it. And it's like, ah. And uh, so she knew I was in pain. So when I put her down for a nap, she goes, Daddy, I want to pray for your knee. I'm like, all right, <laughs> let's do that. So she prayed for my knee. When there were three deer walking through our backyard and the smallest one was limping through the backyard, you know, clearly badly injured, I, uh, I'm coming down the stairs and she runs telling me all about it and she says, Daddy, we need to pray for that deer. 
said, all right, you're right, we do. So I sit down on the bottom stair and I'm holding her hand here and Eli follows her everywhere. So Eli is there as well and hold Eli's hand and they're holding hands and she prayed over that deer. And a couple days later when she saw it again and it wasn't lipping, she was ecstatic that God healed that deer, that God heard her prayer. (laughs) My four-year-old has a faith And you can tell that faith, the the evidence of that blossoming faith, the beginning of a real faith, is the way she prays. Now, what does that have to do with our tithing and our service today? Because that's great faith for a four-year-old. But for the rest of us, we also can tell where are we at in our faith. There's measuring sticks for each of us. Do I have a faith that is real? A faith that has led to repentance, therefore salvation. A faith that leads to sanctification, the process of becoming holy. And how do we measure that faith? How do we measure our own faith? And it is said that if you want to tell, if somebody is a, a believer a real believer, if they have faith, you look at two things. You look at their day planner and their checkbook. How are they living their life? How are they spending their time? And how are they using the money that God has given to them? And that is what we are going to explore today, that kind of faith. So if you would open up with me to uh, Mark 12, We're going to read uh, verses 41 to 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, again, we come before you in prayer because we know that the real work is done in prayer. We know the real work is done by you. The real work this morning will be done by the Holy Spirit, by your Spirit filling us and speaking to us and working in us and changing us that we may be more like your Son. Father, we pray that you would pour yourself out on us today, that you would open our ears, give us ears to hear, give us a heart to receive, that we would... Leave here changed, that we would leave here with a greater faith, a mature faith, a real faith, Father. Lord, again, we thank you and we praise you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We have spent a lot of time, for the last six months, anyways, um, talking about that first part of that measuring stick, the how we live our lives, right? If you remember some of our sermons, we've talked about sin, chata, we talked about repentance, turning away from the world and turning towards God, the Ten Commandments, all these things about how we live our lives. 
and how that is, is what draws us to holiness. That is how we become like Christ. <clears throat> we spend very little time talking about money because it's a difficult subject. But money, how we use our finances is every bit as important of an aspect of our holiness, of our striving towards holiness as any of that other stuff. But we have the idea that holiness means that I just live the right way. I, I'm not you know, going through the Ten Commandments. I'm not committing murder. I'm not committing adultery. I'm not stealing. I'm not uh, lying. I'm not coveting. So if we just do those right things, if we avoid sin, avoid temptation, well, that makes us holy. I would suggest that if we are not giving to God what is his in our tithes, that that is equally drawing us from that holiness as any of those other things. It is equally as important that we use our money the way we ought to use it, that we give to God what is God's. And, and you, the I'll give you an example of this. Why this is so important. Because this isn't just me or my opinion, and this isn't the church saying, we just want your money, so I'm going to guilt you into it. If you leave here feeling guilty, I, we, God doesn't need your money. Nobody wants to guilt you into giving money today, okay? But I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. Because the Israelites, I think, had the same kind of idea that holiness was how we live our lives. And God, in Malachi 3, chastises the Israelites when he says, you're stealing from me. And they say, how are we stealing from you? And God says, when you withhold your tithes and offerings, you are stealing from me. How we use our money, where we give our money, is every bit as important as anything else. And that is a huge measuring stick for our faith. So how do we, how do we get to the point where this woman was at? To where she is in the temple, and she doesn't give 10%. She gives everything. How do we get to where we can have that kind of faith, where we can let go of the things of this world, all the sins that we want to indulge in, but also using our money for us and not giving to God what is God? How do we get to the place where we have the same kind of faith as this woman had? And the first thing we need to do is we need to get to a proper mindset. I want you to read, I'm going to read uh, Psalm 50 to you. Psalm 50, 10 through 12. For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Everything that we have is God's. Everything in this world is God's. And I know that the, the mindset is, well, wait a minute, I worked hard for what I have. 
I worked hard for my savings. I worked hard for my car, for my house, for all these things. And you're right, I'm sure you did work hard for all those things. And I've worked hard for the things that I have. But my grandma used to say something to me when I was young. And I had no clue what it meant. She said, and I'm sure I said something stupid. I probably pointed at people and made fun of them or something. And she said all the time, there but for the grace of God go I. I'm a teenager, no clue what that meant. I'm thinking I-A-Y-E, like vote. What are we voting on? All right, there goes, all right, I, I. No clue what that meant for years until I got into my 20s and I realized that if not for the grace of God, that could be me. That's what she was saying. The fact that I am able to work and do the things that I do is not my own power. No matter what you're doing in life, it's not your own power. It is God who has gifted you and made it so that you can earn what you've earned. All of it is God's. And when we have that kind of mindset that it's not mine, it is God's, and he has provided me with this, and all he's asking is that I give back some to him. When we have that kind of a mindset, we can have the same attitude as this woman in the temple who gave all that she had. It's uh, fascinating with this story that... uh, you think the temple did not need the two coins she put in. That two coins did not make the temple any more richer. And that two coins, by the way, I think this is important to understand. It says worth a fraction of a penny. Penny is it's, it's how they translate the word for the coin, which I can't pronounce, co-drained or whatever it was. So it was translated into English as penny. The amount that the woman actually put in, it says, the commentaries I read, said it's worth about six minutes of work for the actual, for an average laborer. So I figured that out today. Minimum wage, I think, just went up to $12.50. So what she put in was worth about $1.25. And $1.25 what she put into that did not make the temple any richer. That was a pittance to them. But she was immeasurably poorer because of what she gave. And the reason I think the twenty-five is important, because if I view it as like she had two pennies, if all I have in the world are two pennies and I'm sitting in church and the offering plate goes by, it's really not a big deal to toss in my two pennies because it's not getting me anything anyways. But if I am sitting in the pew and the offering plate goes by and all I have left to my name is $1.25, okay, I can get something with $1.25. It's not going to be much, but I can still buy something with $1.25. There's whole stores dedicated to me being able to use my $1.25. So she gave sacrificially. What she gave was significant. And I don't completely understand that concept, why she gave 
all. Why would she give all of it to God? Maybe she trusted that God was going to provide for her, and this was her way of showing him, because she knew the story of, of Hagar and Ishmael, and when they were finished the last of their water and were about to die in the wilderness, God showed up. She probably knew the story of, of the widow and her son, and the man of God, Elijah, comes, and they have just enough food for one last meal, then they're going to die. But Elijah says, make me something first. And she does. And God blessed her mightily for that. Maybe that's what this woman was thinking. I don't know what exactly was going through her head. And I'm not sure that I can say I would have that same kind of faith as she had. But this is what I know about this woman. Number one, I know that she loved God. She loved God she was in the temple, and she is, this is all I have, God. Take it. This is all of it. Use it. It is yours. That woman loved God. But here's the other thing that I know. <clears throat> that two coins that meant nothing to the temple didn't change the temple's financial situation at all. But God returned a value on those two coins that it has changed the world. God used those two coins for something immeasurable. And you think, well, what? How could we, how could we know what those two coins were used for? We are talking about it 2,000 years later. Those coins are the reason why some people have taken their next step in giving to God. Those coins are the reason why people in other countries have been fed because suddenly somebody was challenged to give to God. Those coins have led to people coming to know Christ. What we give never returns void. God used two coins to change the world and to change people's lives. And when we can have that proper mindset that first of all, it is God's anyways, and that what we are giving to God, it is never wasted, then we can begin to give generously. I'm going to share with you that uh, though I've been a Christian for many, many years, I haven't always been a tither so tithing, really tithing, began for me probably about 10, 12 years ago. And it's interesting for me because for years I was challenged to tithe. And, and I don't mean I heard messages in church. I mean God literally telling me, you need to start giving. You need to start doing this. And I didn't have the faith of this woman. And I didn't tithe the way I knew I was supposed to, the new way I knew I was being called to. And it's funny because though I kept that money for myself, and though I made more money then, I was always living week to week. It seemed like I was always just scraping by, waiting for the next paycheck to come. When I began tithing, and look, this isn't TBN, all right? I'm not telling you. Give us your money and God's going to bless you with 10 times the amount with some 
you know, mysterious check come into your house. I'm telling you what's happened in my life. When I began tithing, and by tithing, it's 10% of your first fruit. So it's first thing. When I write, well, it used to be when I would write my checks, I would cash my check, and then I would deposit it, and I would go home, and I would write all my checks for the week. The very first check I always wrote was my tithe check. This is God's. This is what I have left to live on. I need to figure out a way to live on that. And what that did for me was it capped my spending without capping my giving. And we kind of have it backwards a lot. We'll cap our giving and just spend, spend, spend. But I began to cap my spending so that I could really be giving. And God has blessed me in so many ways, not just financially um, or materially, though God has provided. I've told you the story. My my car kept breaking down, and God always provided during that time. I never stopped tithing, and God always provided. I, I think of the way God has provided for Jessica and our family with our houses, we were looking for a place before we got married, and first of all, the pads came up. They hadn't even um, finished their apartment yet, but, but God blessed us with a place that we were going to be able to live. When we had two children and we kind of outgrew the pads' apartment, uh, Jim Alexander comes up to us and says, I heard you're looking for a, a place to live. And again, another affordable place we were able to go to. You know, and then, of course, now with the church. God has always provided for us. We may not have everything we want, but God has provided everything that we need. But more than that, more than the financial, is the spiritual blessing that comes from giving everything to God, every area of our life to God. And for this, I think of Gary Hinman, and I I wish he was still coming to our church. I love Gary Hinman. He uh, came to Fight Club, and his first chapter at Fight Club, he, and he'll, he would tell you this, I haven't talked to him in a long time, but he shared this all over the place. He was not a tither, but at Fight Club, part of the challenge is you have to tithe for four consecutive weeks. Gary tithed for the first four weeks, and he just saw God bless him in so many ways that he tithed the entire 10-week chapter. And not only that, but he started being so inspired about the tithing and seeing the way God was working that he started giving above and beyond. He blessed a person that he worked with, and I'm not going to tell you what he did for, because I don't know if I should tell that, but, but he really blessed a co-worker, and it was a significant amount of money for him. But the, the joy and excitement that he came with each week as he was able to give and as he was able to bless other people with his giving was huge, and it didn't just affect his checkbook. It didn't affect what he owned. It affected who he was. At the end of that 10 weeks, his faith was leaps and bounds above where it had ever been before. When we give generously, real change happens. It happens when God uses two coins to change the world. It happens in our lives personally. So whether you have been tithing for years and years or you're new to all of this, the big question now about the real change is, so what? What next? I think that uh, the first step 
for all of us needs to be prayer. This is not an issue where we we feel guilty and so we, we give a little bit more. This has to be an issue of praying and seeking God and what is he calling us to do with what he has blessed us with. Earnest prayer is the first step. The next step is if you have never given, start giving something. Get in the habit of just tithing something to get in the habit of it. If you have been coming to church, you have been a believer for years, then you're probably at the point where I was at when God was convicting me over and over and over that I needed as a believer to be tithing. And I encourage you to pray about it and be willing to take that step. But regardless of where you are at in the tithing process, in your giving, we all have to start out at the same place. And the place we start out at is 2 Corinthians 9-7, which says that each of us should give what we have decided in our hearts to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Remember, we don't give because God needs our money. God doesn't need our money. Charlie Hodges used to always quote that Psalm 50 verse to us. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We don't need to worry about where the money is coming from for this ministry. God doesn't need our money. And we don't give because God needs our money. The reason we give is because Christ gave first. Jesus dwelt in paradise with the Father. And when he chose to give that up to come here, even had he chosen to live in the grandest palace, it would have been a downgrade. He chose to give. But he chose to go even farther to where he came to an ordinary family being born in a manger. He gave all. And then he gave even more when he gave his life. Christ gave first, and that is why we can give. And today we get to celebrate, remember what Christ gave for us through our time of communion. I thought this is a perfect reminder of why we give, because it was first given to us. As I told you a month ago, I, I always like to start out my communion with Psalm 139, and then I'll take some time to, to pray and really talk to God to, as best as I can, get right with God before I'm going to partake of the blessing that he has given us in communion. So again, this month, I'm going to pray. I'm going to end praying Psalm, 1, Psalm 139, and I'm going to give you a moment to just, in silence, pray on your own. And then I will close us again in another prayer of, of pardon and confession. 
So would you uh, pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together to, to partake of the sacrifice that you gave for us, your own son, Jesus, your life. You gave all for us, and you ask so little in return. Father, I pray that you would be with us as we take this time to uh, really seek you, really draw into your presence. Lord, at this time, test us and know our hearts. Search us and know our anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in us and lead us in the path everlasting. Show us the areas that we need to confess to you. Show us the areas where we need to turn from the world and back to you, Father that we may right now in this time of silence ask for forgiveness for what we can. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your laws. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Church, hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. This proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus, you are forgiven. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took the bread, gave thanks to the Father, shared with the disciples, and said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Likewise, when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to the Father, shared it with the disciples, and said, This cup is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for the many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, pour out on your spirit on those gathered here, Lord that we may be one with you and one with one another, that we may be your body here on earth, Father. Amen. Body of Christ, broken for you and for me and for the forgiveness of sins, take and eat. Likewise, the cup of salvation which is poured out for all of humanity. Drink deep that we may have life, even life everlasting. Amen. Heavenly Father, again, what can we say but thank you? Thank you, Lord. Father, uh, we pray now as, as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Again, as we close, I just want to remind you this message was not meant for guilt. It was not meant to get money from you. This message was a reminder that we give because Christ first gave for us. And I know that whenever we do tithing messages or stewardship messages, it sometimes comes across as a a telethon plea. Just give, give, give. We are not asking that you give anything other than what God has cheerfully, other than what you can give cheerfully that God has placed on your heart to give. But what we are doing is encouraging you to take that next step in this area of your life to live faithfully. Would you stand with me and uh, receive uh, a blessing? May God give you the wisdom to know what's right, the courage to choose that path, and the strength to make it endure. Amen.